Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Mind Yourself podcast with myself and Christy, uh, continuing our um, never-ending conversation and on this super interesting topic around technology and our mental health. So I know um, the last time we spoke, we started to deep dive into social media and some of the areas around how that actually impacts our mental health and how to prepare for it. But I think there's still a huge amount more we could probably go into, Christy. Obviously, um, social media, the whole area of influencers, the whole areas of selfies, how that influences kind of are, are we narcissistic with how we kind of share ourselves online? All those kind of really, you know, there's still a huge amount around uh, social media. I think we need to deep dive into. I mean, what what are your thoughts on kind of how, you know, social media specifically, how we are actually acting on that and how that's impacting our mental health today? Yeah, so I was trying to think of a way to start this conversation um, and I came across a study um, done by Ohio State University and it basically found that the number of selfies taken correlates with narcissism, which of course um, is the personality trait where people are overly obsessed with themselves. And I think that is common knowledge now, basically, that most people today are more interested in themselves than other people. And I think that social media does have a big role to play in this, that people are portraying somebody or a version of themselves online as much as possible to get as much attention off other people. So they really, really need to portray themselves as well to get more attention. And then this, of course, comes with the influencer market. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I, I'm very curious how they actually even track narcissism. How do you like? How do you track narcissism against selfies? Like, you know, how does that study even work? What's the kind of criteria for someone's narcissism? That's that's what I'd like to know. The study specifically, I would imagine what they did was they uh, got people in the study to record the number of selfies they take each day, for example, and then they would also have got um, them to carry out a narcissism scale so a personality scale basically and then um the correlation is just okay straightforward but um yeah that is important to note as well um like we always showed that correlation doesn't mean causation we're not saying that if you take selfies that means you're narcissistic but there is an association there um so i do think it's important to take it into account yeah it's funny how that would be genuinely like an actual just assumed correlation and it's just funny how a study actually proves it like if you were to guess people who take a lot of selfies you probably stereotypically people assume are more narcissistic but yeah now and obviously you just mentioned influences there and like how does that feed into because obviously the influencer world you know those guys in that industry and we spoke probably mentioned before about how kids dream of being content creators and influencers like that's actually a career people aspire to now like that i'm assuming that whole selfie space is part of the business of being an influencer you have to do it so i mean how does that kind of feed into, you know, influencers and how, how they kind of impact and what we're seeing online and what their lives are actually like? Yeah, I, I think obviously, like, I'm, I'm not under the impression that influencers are just there taking pictures, selfies of themselves. The point I'm making is that selfies were the foundation of this, that basically as soon as the, um, the camera could turn on yourself, um, it essentially created a new marketplace. And this goes without saying, like influencers are making a lot of money, like they're, they're intelligent people um, for going into the market, especially the people who are early on it, because what they're essentially paying are getting paid for is attention. People like to see what they're doing, saying, thinking. And so people are basically paying money or the bigger companies are paying money because they get so much attention. And that is the basis of social media. And I would nearly say technology as well. 
Um, but the problem with that, the dark side of it then is that we're putting ourselves up for auction to be evaluated essentially. That constantly we're asking people to evaluate if they like us or not. And then that then creates a, well, if you don't like me for who I am, because maybe personally I don't like myself, then I need to create somebody who's better than my actual self. And this goes back to then creating unrealistic life expectations um, or unrealistic realities for um, influencers, basically. And that's not good for mental health, for the influencer themselves. And again, I'm not saying um, I'm always being critical and I'm probably being pessimistic about it. Um, Like I know this could anger a lot of people, but um, I am being pessimistic for the sake of the importance of influencers taking care of their mental health which is something we're going to discuss Mm. with our guests of course but and here's the thing um because playing devil's advocate that whole concept of expect you know sort of wanting or having you know that expectation of you know presenting yourself in a way for people to kind of judge you and then feeding off that judgment because maybe you have certain insecurities I mean, the saying keeping up with the Joneses and that whole concept is not a new phenomenon. It's, I mean, that existed before social media. So from a psychological perspective, what does psychology say about that concept about needing external, you know, approval for how we actually are? Because I suppose, you know, social media has just given us a platform for it. Yeah, you're you're right. Like this has always existed. But the one thing I would say is that these influences are reaching way more people now. Um, and the other thing is that I don't think this keeping up with the Joneses existed among children. Um, so the difference again is what social media has done is it's given people a bigger platform, but it's also given the platform, um, to children. And then it's also given a platform to reach way more people. And I think that can be quite dangerous. And again, like you're asking me about the psychology of it, like this is kind of difficult. It's moving so fast that I think studies are quickly becoming outdated. Like, for example, I mm. think that's interesting that's happening now is that it's actually shifting from visuals and like just taking pictures of traveling to now people want to hear about what you think about situations. Like, for example, Twitter has become a lot more popular. And that transition, I think, is quite dangerous because what seems to be happening now is everybody has an opinion on everything. And um, this is a big conversation I think we sh- that we should touch on is what is your opinion of mm. social media companies censoring certain content? And that balance between um, when we talk about, and this is always the, the argument that people make, is the argument of free speech um, and then kind of unnecessary opinion like for example you know you see the benefit of 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 influencers who maybe have a genuine um you know expert background in something and they can provide you know an opinion on something that is relevant but then you also see the dangers of it where it leads into kind of bullying and we saw a big example of that in uh the in the euros in the summer where all those english players who missed the penalties got abused racially and everything else online because people who sit on their arse on a sofa or in the stand who've never kicked a ball in their life are now giving opinion on how a penalty should be taken. I mean, it's not a platform that, you know, that's a danger as well. It means it's everyone can have an opinion on every single scenario, whether it's correct, whether it's fair, whether it even should be, even be mentioned. Yeah. And then this also breaks into the controversial conversation of the anti-vaxxers at the moment. Mm. Um, I'm not asking you to give an opinion, but um, again, like, do you think 
you personally, do you think social media companies should censor certain content? Should they play God? This is a difficult one. Because see, and the reason it's a difficult one because no matter who you ask, everyone is going to feel like everyone, and this is this whole unconscious bias, is everyone is going to assume that when a social media platform censors someone or something that is somewhat unconsciously a bias of theirs or they either disagree or agree with depending on the situation will unconsciously agree yeah that's a good idea but if you broke down everything probably a lot of situations could be argued pro and con and so therefore what do you side to the things that you know what is the message that the social media platforms probably i would say the only things that you know there should be kind of like there is a general i'm sure there is a general kind of standard around abuse bullying you know all those kind of things. I don't know whether you can kind of break it down and say anything in that category can be censored because it's not fair. Um, but actually censoring information is a dangerous one because, as you said, then you kind of move away from that whole idea. You move towards, sorry, that idea of playing God. And I'm, I'd imagine that's probably the biggest concern about social media companies. They can't decide the line between what's good and what's bad. We saw it with Donald Trump. He was eventually censored from, I think, at least from Twitter, but I don't know from Facebook possibly as well. So, um, yeah, because you have the problem you said when you break it down, it becomes uh, more complicated. Like, for example, when you were saying cyberbullying, when somebody's being mean to somebody, the problem is you could argue that somebody being mean to you is not being mean to you, and some people basically need to um, be more resilient. It's okay mm. to abuse somebody, they should be able to stand up for themselves. And we actually have that conversation in our workshops, which I find we always mention is that when we talk about the bullying aspect and we speak about it with kids, we always mention that we teach, it's actually in a resilient, resilient section of the workshops we do where we're talking to the kids about how, um, you know, if someone is mean to you verbally, that's technically not illegal. And so therefore, at least in most contexts, so therefore you have to learn to deal with that and get over the bully and kind of stand up to them. Whereas physical bullying is an illegal act. It's assault. So therefore that's when other uh, higher authorities can st step in. Because it's the type of thing where it doesn't matter if, let's say, a social media company bans cyberbullying, that if anybody abuses anybody, they're taken off straight away or the comment is removed. But that doesn't mean that when that child goes out in the playground that they're not going to experience yeah. uh, some sort of bullying. Or, some, or I, I don't like using the word bullying because I think this is something that's not reiterated enough, the actual meaning of bullying. Bullying is something that has to go on for a long period of time. Somebody maybe saying something abusive to you once off is not, or is not bullying. It's just once off abuse. And in those circumstances, you, you do need to learn to take that and to respond in a productive or an adaptive way. Mm. But um, so, again, this is the line where you're just like, well, maybe the social media company should allow like once off abuse. That's fine. But if they're doing it continuously for a long period of time, then that's cyberbullying. And so they should be taken off. But the problem with that is what is characterized as a long period of time? Yeah. And the other thing I, I don't know in some of this kind of, you know, obviously the resilience kind of research and things like that around bullying um, what, you know, where and it's also a complicated area because where does bullying go from being just bullying and being mean to being discriminatory and, you know, maybe discriminatory based on gender, based on 
sexual orientation based on you know race i mean that's is that bu- that's not bullying so you go back if you go back to the euros mm. um the point you made about the players who took the penalties getting racially abused now i would say that is in a different field completely because what us as a society are trying to do is we're trying to remove racism that yeah. um i know this sounds strange but you can abuse somebody but you should not abuse somebody because of their race because that is racist and i think that's okay and i think that that has a differentiation that basically if somebody is being racist online if somebody is abusing somebody else simply because of their race they are racist so they should be taken off or their comments should be deleted i think that is straightforward but the social media companies are doing a terrible job of that because they're coming back with the arguments of oh it's complicated but this is that's not complicated it's complicated where, where it's a line between yeah, so like, opinion, but not between racism and abuse. There's a big, big difference. Yeah, so there's a difference between saying, you know, you dickhead, that's a shit penalty. Um, and it's a shit penalty because of, uh, because of some sort of racist derogatory comment. They're very different things. You can give out about someone's ability to score a penalty. The point of sport and the point of, us being fans is there's always going to be that you know open dialogue and you know you know it's something you always get taught as a kid growing up playing sport ignore the fans everyone can give an opinion unfortunately that's just the way it is but when it becomes not about your ability to play the sport but actually something that you kind of change race for example that's when it's into a different category and so that should be separated it's not the fact that someone criticizing someone online for missing a penalty missing a free kick or having a bad performance it's when they start blaming them because of their race or because of something that you know is discriminatory that's when it falls into that category of okay fair enough those people should be banned dealt with punished in some way is that what you're trying to say yeah and then now so i think that's straightforward and i don't know why the social media companies are not doing more with that because i think that is clear um the two things are in clear boxes like we can tell the difference between it so why aren't they stopping that but, and you know, I think to jump off on that point, I think the biggest problem also is as well as educating social media companies going as in that makes sense, those boxes to, you know, to, you know, to ha- abuse online, whatever, you know, but when does it be, you know, the other issue is that for users, us, you know, obviously we're all becoming a little bit more conscious about mental health, trying to be nicer and kinder to each other. There's a little bit more pressure around how, you know, you treat your fellow person maybe a little bit more than in the past i don't know but because people are more woke to cyberbullying and mental health and things like that there's also this whole cancel culture and so beyond the whole racist stuff which you talked about there's also the pressure from users that jump on the bandwagon to say people aren't allowed to say anything mean online and that's also coming and then the social media companies go shit now we can't deal with it all we can't ban everyone so where do we draw the line and so it's easy for us to understand it's easy to explain to the social media company but also users i don't think understand and public don't understand the difference between someone being mean to you as we've said this before you know that's not wrong it's not nice but it's not there's nothing legal or anything bad about it you have to be able to be resilient and move on from it someone being mean to you for something you kind of change gender race something like that that's discrimination that's a different category explain to people the difference so that there's not this cancel culture where anyone who says anything that someone doesn't agree with should be cancelled is the issue i think as well and there's that pressure that then social media companies don't really know what to do 
Yeah, so that's the other end of the scale, and I've always seen it as this way that it's really, really funny. So the best way to describe this is basically the um, the strong right and the strong left. Yeah. So mm. we know the bad things that the um, the strong right have done. Like we go back to the examples of Hitler, authoritarianism, um, Nazis, that stuff. So we know what they've done. On the other side, then you have the belief basically that everybody is equal and if anybody's mean they should be attacked they should be challenged they should be cancelled um because nobody is better than anybody else but the problem is that i don't think it's one or the other it's somewhere in between so with this cancel culture by being far left and basically saying everything abusive is wrong they're basically replicating what the far right are doing um, and I think, of course, we're going into politics here, but obviously cancel culture goes hand in hand with um, like democracy, far left, disbelief. Um, and I don't want to talk about politics, but the point I'm making is basically, again, it goes back to having clear definitions for each of these things. When something comes to race, if anybody abuses anybody because of their race, that is wrong. And I think the social media company should step up and should challenge that. They should basically ban those people, delete the comments. That's how it should work. That is how you eradicate racism online. Because people then know, if I'm going to be racist online, then I'm not allowed to have an opinion. I'll be deleted. That is how you start to eradicate it. Then the stuff like within the euro stops. But on the other hand, if somebody abuses somebody because they disagree with them, for example, that is not the right that they can be basically cancelled because what's happening there then is that's trying to protect that person and then this brings up the snowflake conversation it's trying to protect that person from any sort of abuse and that's not good for your mental health if you mm. to basically avoid any bit of abuse and try to protect everybody else from any bit of abuse that's not good for mental health because they're not building resilience then people should be able to take abuse that's okay but if it's continuous for a long period of time that's when it becomes bullying and it's important that we kind of teach these this to children that to tell the difference between because I know cyberbullying is being covered in schools now, but I don't think it's being covered of what cyberbullying actually is. Um, and I think that's important because overprotecting children from any sort of abuse is as dangerous as them being continuously abused or bullied. Mm. Yeah, I think that's it. And I think, yeah, no, it makes sense. I think that's the challenge we're on the journey now going from you know, free for all, people can say and do what they want to cancel everything, anything that's somewhat mean is a bad thing. And I feel like we'll somehow retract from that and come somewhere, hopefully some equilibrium where it's balanced. But as you said, it takes quite a pragmatic, strategic approach where you have to box these things in and say anything in this category that's abusive needs to be cancelled like you said there'll be challenges to everything of course there will there'll be people basically saying but what about this um and in those cases i just think that we kind of need to make a decision and go firm with it um mm. i think that's the important thing and that's the problem that people do or the social media companies particularly doing nothing is the the issue mm -hmm. because um this goes back to now everybody having an opinion this free speech thing like I'm like it's so misunderstood that I think yes everybody's entitled to an opinion but that doesn't mean that your opinion isn't stupid like you can have a stupid opinion if you can't back it up with any sort of evidence and that's the issue 
And then this brings up the anti-vax players. Um, and of course, this is completely my perspective, and I know I'll get attacked for this, but my perspective on it is that, again, the social media companies need to stick by some sort of moral system of what is right and what is wrong. And I think either they go 100% or not at all towards science. I think science has okay. brought us this far. It was because of science that technology is here. So I think the social media companies need to stick by science. And no, I'm not saying so you ban anybody who's not going to get a vaccine. That's not what I'm saying at all. Because, because people have the right not to get the vaccine. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. The problem I have is if people are basically making points online about made up statistics or made up facts or they're misinterpreting information on purpose i think those not the people should be deleted but i think the comments should be deleted because i think getting their audience is dangerous because this is the danger of social media is that you can get people with a wrong message to group up in one um area and i think that's an issue what's your thoughts on that so you yeah, so I was—I actually—I don't know why my brain went here, but I said what's interesting, and I'm going to say something that's controversial now, not hugely controversial, but relatively, in a sense is so. If that's the route, we need to have some sort of central, concrete gospel of knowledge that, at the very least, gives social media companies a barometer for when spreading fake news falls below that barometer and has to be challenged or deleted. How does that impact things like you arguably could say, you know, comments tied to religion or something like that, which, you know, people start making claims with a religious basis that don't have any scientific background. You know, does that mean then those comments should be deleted? Because I know that's a controversial one where people will have opinions based on something that they've read in the Bible, some interpretation of something in the Bible. You see, you see, this is where it's complicated, but I would make the point. So, like, there is evidence showing that basically people who follow a religion have better mental health than people who don't, for example. So there's Exactly, science. that's where I'm going with it. And I also want to point out that I'm not saying that science is perfect. It's absolutely not. Like, for example, like, studies on the vaccine right now, like, they're, they're not concrete. Like, there's issues. There's limitations to every single research study. But the point I'm making is that it's better to follow science and research than anything else at the moment. That's, mm -hmm. um, that is my opinion, but I think a lot of people also believe that. And so what the scientific method does is it creates evidence. It does an objective study and it, sorry, it creates a hypothesis and it does an objective study and it comes out with evidence afterwards. And we should believe mm -hmm. that evidence, not because it's 100% right, but because it's better than anything else. And so again, this is complicated, but I think the social media companies need to basically decide, okay, this is our framework that we're working off, that science has got us here, so we're going to believe in science. And so anything that basically tries to discredit it, no, like the person doesn't need to be banned. And yes, of course, they're completely entitled to do what they want, but they, sh they shouldn't be allowed to spread that message because that message is um, in disagreement with what we believe. And in that regard, yes, it is kind of playing God, but it's not really because it's going for, it's not saying I'm deciding what's right or wrong. It's saying that science is deciding what's right. 
No, and I agree. So I know, and I, 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 I agree. I totally agree, and I, I'd be more in in favor of your strategy. I, I, I do, I do get that concept. It's just, I'm like, what is your, how do you mitigate then for those gray areas? You know, I know I've mentioned religion, but there's definitely some areas where people will make the argument that, you know, obviously there's a lot of it that you know people are just you know quoting or spreading content based on that, but then some people will make outlandish claims tied to that are you saying that people can't make outlandish claims and use religion as the basis for that and say that's why this is true yes fair enough and so therefore what we're saying is that anyone can claim anything online as long as it's backed up by objective research that could be backed up with facts it's just basically if you are claiming something you should have evidence to back it up and that evidence shouldn't be somebody said that this one time evidence should be objective research that has been published in a peer-reviewed paper because there's mm. experts involved in that process that you know that the information is generally true as opposed to yeah. any other information essentially and this goes okay back. okay no i get you I like it. I like it. So basically, our shout out to our call out to anti-vaxxers is come at us with your data and your facts. And if it is objective and if it makes sense, we'll give you a seat at the table and we'll have a discussion about it. Um, this On another interesting note, though, I think that this is also an opportunity. I think it's really, really highlighted, particularly the anti-vaxxers, the vaccine um, like movement. It's highlighted as well that I think there's so much people who don't understand science. Um, mm. And thankfully, I've, I've seen it in, in primary schools now. They're teaching the scientific method. But I know, like, in junior science, um, for example, or, like, in, um, in GSE science, it's, they're told the scientific method, but that's kind of that section told at the start. But it's not really explained. Yeah, the scientific method is the thing that they cover at the very, very start of science in school care like because it's kind no. of worried but like it's shit it's i remember doing it i remember doing it in school i hated it because it's, it's just talking about how you do a study the, the you know the criteria for experimentation all those things that are not really that interesting remember this but like how it should be taught is how applicable that is to the real world that basically this is how we understand the world or this is a framework in which you can understand yeah. the world this isn't just related to petri dishes and bunsen burners like it actually is how research is you know backed up how information is backed up information basically yeah yeah so i think i think the th point to make out is and i think that's probably i'll cover your ass a little bit here you're not saying that anyone yeah i'm gonna cover your ass a bit in case people start giving out you're not saying that anyone who is an anti-vaxxer is wrong but you're saying and that's not to say that someone with an opinion as to why vaccines aren't good is wrong. The point is, it cannot be an opinion. If you have facts, objective research, and a proper studies behind something that maybe gives some sort of argument to say maybe the vaccines aren't the best solution, that's fine. And that can, you know, be discussed, debated, online, shared. That's fine. It's when people start just giving out, you know, claims with, you know, anecdotal evidence as to why um, these things are and throwing out ridiculous statements with no evidence to back it up and just saying this is my this is fact because i heard it from my mate or i heard it from a doctor yeah and the other point i'm going to make is i'm not saying that this is the perfect solution either it really really isn't i just think again the social media companies need to make a decision on this because what's happening is 
you have a large group of people who are following a few people who are throwing out facts. And then on the other end of the scale, then you have people who are like, the vaccine's fantastic. It's going to be the best thing. And all of them are idiots. So what you're doing is you're leading, you're creating this massive, massive division of us versus them. And that is social media's mm. responsibility to stop that happening. Um, mm because that shouldn't be happening. And the solution to do that is to be stricter with basically um, the evidence base that they're going to work off, which in my opinion should be science. And because an interesting point, I know it's, I, I like it. And what's an interesting point to that is what people should remember. Um, people study years and years and years to be a doctor. People study years and years and do PhDs, do doc, uh, masters to do anything in psychology. You know it yourself. If you want to be a clinical psychologist, you still spend years and years of study and you, you know lots of information on the topic. But even with all that information and all that expertise, you can't come out with an outlandish claim about anything related to your field of psychology without the b basis of proper scientific method, study, research, objective experimentation and all those things. So even the people who are in the field who know this stuff can't make these claims. So how then can people who have no background and basis in any of these areas can start making, a, you know, outlandish claims? That's the big thing to remember. Like people, doctors can't come out and just say things just because they're a doctor. They also have to do the research and, the, you know, all the background study. Yeah. And then again, research is flawed. So they can't ever say like this causes this like 100%. Like, for example, the vaccine, like people with the vaccine still get COVID. But that's not the point, you see. It's, this is where human judgment comes into it. That are you going to trust somebody who has years and years of research and is not saying that the vaccine, mm -hmm. you definitely won't get it. But what they're saying is the vaccine reduces the likelihood that you'll get it. Are you going to trust that doctor? Or are you going to trust Bob down the road who heard that uh, like loads of people have died in like Mongolia from the vaccine, but they're not telling And like, you're laughing, but this is actually <laughs> what's happening. Um, yeah. And it's important. And like, it just goes back to like, again, this whole like social media and technology, it's just moving so fast and they just don't have the regulations to keep up with it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting because it's creating problems that I don't think society would have ever come across. Yeah. Yeah, like Bob down the road couldn't have had the been able to spread his opinion to so many people as it, than ever before in such an easy way. But OK, so to pack this, because I, I genuinely think it is an interesting thought, but I do think about influencers. Yeah, but that's what I was about to say to, to segue from this, because I think it is a nice bridge into influencers. You have an industry of people that have either large, small, but very, you know, adoring following to an extent who influence on various different topics there's no criteria on what they talk about and spread messages spread information spread you know advice across various different areas and so we've just spoken about how the risks of sharing opinion that isn't backed up by science how then does that impact a massive industry but a lot of people who make their 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 living from it and um, how does that impact it because there's so many of these trends in, in influencer space micro influencers this whole unfiltered everyday influencers that have probably come from tiktok where it's far less you know photoshopped and made look perfect to sort of give people this impression that it is natural and not an influencer creating this as a business and also you know curating it in a way to make it look natural to help you believe it a bit more 
how does this whole discussion around you know opinion and you know you know managing and cancel culture impact then influences given the fact we've said it needs to be backed up by research yeah like again we we don't really know this is the problem that we don't basically know what's going to happen as a circumstance because this goes down to human judgment of the influencer like the influencer has this massive responsibility that i don't think they're aware of because they influence so many people so what they say really really matters and it's still a thing where people i don't know will they not admit it but like 100 like the majority of influencers are extremely good looking people they're there generally because they're extremely good looking as opposed to what they're saying and what they're thinking and um mm. i was having a discussion with some of my friends um about this was um there was a talent show on love island because love island is um is very very relevant in this conversation because everybody wants to get on to love island not were you watching love island this year um i mm, no i'll say no i was in no. bits but not yeah. that much not like i missed yeah. the majority of it but um Fair. everybody wants to get on love island because they want the deals afterwards they're going to get thousands and thousands of followers and they essentially become an influencer pretty after. little thing and boohoo is yeah. always the one they're, they're creating basically a career for, for themselves so it actually is forward thinking. Yeah. But you have these talent shows yeah. every year on Love Island. And you see every single year that nine times out of 10, all of the people on it are extremely talented. They have absolutely no talent. And yet they're still going to be massive influencers afterwards. So like, well, I'm jumping to conclusions here, but the only conclusion I can draw from that is that they're getting famous because they're good looking and love island had such a good opportunity this year to take advantage of um like body positive image and they just didn't they said they might and they just did or like as well sexuality they still had heterosexual um heterosexual couples and i just think that was a big loss and apparently it's on the decline and i think that's a good thing and then this brings me perfectly into the point i do want to make answering your question there are influencers now who are aware of this, and I think that's a good sign because the other big, big side effect of this, um, this is where the psychology comes in, is body image, body dysmorphia, and eating disorder. Because this is huge, and this has increased massively, and I think I can go past correlation here and say that social media, you could argue there is evidence for it, has caused a massive increase in um, eating disorders. Because again, influencers are creating idealized versions of themselves. So they always look good. And as a result, their followers are seeing that. And they're like, why aren't I like that? Why can't I be like that? Which then causes them to obsess about how they look. And then that causes irregular emotion regulation strategies, like for example, not eating or binge eating and then getting sick. And then this, of course, can lead to or this, these are the symptoms of bulimia and anorexia. So that is something that has been an issue, but is starting to be addressed. Like I do know there's influencers now, like for example, Ross Purcell is very good at showing a appearance versus reality photos. Mm, she's, she's gotten quite popular on the back of specifically doing that actually, and kind of increased her popularity. Yeah. And then this brings back up the conversation you were asking about cancel culture. But then it goes the other way then that I think people have got this wrong. 
And a problem before with always cyberbullying, with people being mean to other people online, is that basically they're attacking the people who were being mean. And this goes yeah. back to something in psychology known as the bystander effect. Mm-hmm. The big, big problem online is that somebody is mean to somebody and there's so many people seeing that that nobody responds. Like, I don't know, are you familiar with this bystander effect? Yeah, it's even easier to be a bystander online. Actually, I know, I remember, I always heard of the I, the, the the theory around the bystander effect and then actually learned about it in action when actually my old housemate um, stood and watched a guy get his bike robbed on the street in Dublin and was just crossing the road and froze, watched it happen, watched these guys throw this motorbike into the boot of their tr- uh, van and drive off. And I said, well, did you not do something Tried to stop them? And he was like, no, I just kind of watched and walked on to work. And I'm like, that's the bystander effect in action. And it, it, it's a lot worse. Like the original study was, I think, like um, a homeless, somebody who was portrayed as somebody homeless. It was like screaming in pain. And in the middle of New York, nobody responded. This bystander effect is strong. Mm. Again, going back to... Why, though? Why, like, why does it exist? It's so weird. Because there's an expectation when there's a lot of people there, there's an expectation that somebody else will do something. And as a response, as a, as a response nobody will do anything. But like in the case of your friend, for example, they might not have got... Is it a social anxiety thing? Like, is it like... N- yeah, because people are... Is it not having the confidence? People don't want to stand in and put themselves at harm for somebody else, you know, for example. Yeah, okay. But going back anyway, so like, cyberbullying again like pointing out that online is a different place and you have thousands and thousands of people looking at let's say the comments of something and so when somebody says something mean there's no response but that has flipped now and what seems to be happening is that person to be an attack and they're cancelled for example and then there's these mm. arguments and stuff but that's not the right approach either and i think this is important when you're talking to children and what you'll be taught in schools is first, as we spoke about earlier, identify what is the difference between somebody being abused that they should be able to take and actual bullying if it's continuous. The second thing basically is how to deal with it. And how to deal with it is not just publicly attacking that person so you get validation like, oh, well done that you did that. It's basically like don't privately messaging saying that that wasn't very nice or standing up for them in that case, but not in an abusive manner. Yeah. You know, there's a way to do it. And I think that that's kind of been misunderstood. And you hear funny stories of that where you hear, particularly with celebrities, I suppose, because they probably experience it even more just from an exposure perspective. But you hear funny stories of celebrities either messaging people who've been mean to them or, you know, they do these funny skits where maybe someone is given out about a celebrity or whatever to a camera and then the celebrity comes out from behind the curtain and suddenly the person's their best friend. Oh my God, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean any of it. You see how awkward it makes the bully when they suddenly have to face the person they're bullying or the person they're be- they're bullying also just doesn't seem to really care and is actually being, as we always say, be nice to the bully, kind of show them that it doesn't bother you. That completely throws the person off. And it is quite funny when you see it in action. I always think they're really good ones. Um, that, always, that also highlights the difference between online and in real, real person. Like most yeah. trolls, for example, aren't going to abuse people in person. In person, yeah. But, and what's interesting is, I mean, to give social media the the only thing really they seem to be able to have filtered on or like to stop people doing it is the whole 
hashtag ad thing where now people have to call out if they're making a com- any money from a certain post and commercially benefiting from it that's something that they're 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 kind of a little bit stricter on than a lot of the other things around body positivity and things like that i know actually i was listening on the radio this morning in the car how six or seven people from love islands in the past i don't know if it was this year but over the last few years were all done for posting stuff that they didn't claim they didn't highlight were ads made money from it and then the social media companies have come down hard on them because they didn't you know explicitly say this was an ad and that's a good sign, I suppose. At least that's one area of dis- deception that is tied to influencers that has been addressed. One, um, one thing I always say as well to parents when they, because they generally ask about social media um, in the webinars is, um, there's, like we've said before, there's no point in trying to ban social media because children will get on it at some stage. It's not that children use social media, it's how they use it. That's the, that's the issue. But again, going back to the unhealthy comparisons, what I always say is, be aware of who your child or your students are following. This is important because, again, um, it's good if they have role models, like, for example, like, let's say, sports stars like Cristiano Ronaldo or like, um, or like women like Serena Williams, for example. Like, these are proper role models and they know that they have a big following and they know basically, like, that how to keep a positive image. The problem is when they're following these new influencers, as you mentioned, the ones who aren't as big. And if they're constantly creating this unrealistic lifestyle, that is constant downward comparison because these Mm. influencers are being paid to create something that's not real, like an unrealistic lifestyle. And so if children are constantly looking at their stories over and over again, it's constant downward comparison. It's not good for their their self-esteem as well. So I didn't know about this hashtag ads thing. I'm a bit uh, probably behind, but um, that seems to be good. That maybe we highlight it more to children that this is an ad where they're, it's unrealistic as opposed to this is real life. Yeah, you see it now. If you look at any any of the Instagram posts and probably for the last 18 months, maybe it's been a thing, but you see it hashtag ad, always hashtag ad. Even in stories, they have to have hashtag ad in the story if they're promoting something they get paid for. One thing I just want to say, because in case anyone mentioned it and we've just claimed that, you know, Love Island never pick, you know, actually people with talent. And the one person that I did actually want to call out and, you know, I didn't want to break your flow was that actually your man, Dr. Alex from a few years ago. And the only reason I mentioned him as well is because from a mental health perspective, he is the ambassador, the UK government's ambassador for mental health, like for the whole of the UK. And obviously for us, that's interesting. But that's someone who went into, into Love Island and ironically probably came across as the most awkward and you know wasn't really made for the screen or just didn't I don't think appeal to people because he wasn't prepared to just make a fool of himself you know he he seemed quite awkward and natural in, in in that whole environment of that influencer world which you know maybe ties itself to someone who actually has a completely different field of experience and this wasn't his main space but is an interesting one who went on to it as a GP and I'm pretty sure he works just as a standard GP in in uh, A&E in London. He is a perfect example of an influencer who knows what he's doing. He has a large following and he's basically acting as a role model, mm. improving the world essentially. 
Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of him. And then you were talking about how, so I see Love Island very similar to as um, influencers will post on stories, for example. You know, it's kind of fake. It's not real. But I think another mm-hmm. important message to tell children particularly is that people act different when they know they're being watched. That's also very, very important. And whenever you're online, you're aiming to be watched. So as a result, you're acting differently. And I think that should be highlighted. Mm. Interesting. That's an interesting summary of it. Um, so then just to move on from that, because I think one of the biggest areas of, you know, social anxiety, you know, body confidence and stuff is all tied a lot to kind of dating relationships all those kind of things that's where those kind of a lot of those areas are associated that kind of you know the dating scene but now into dating online which i think is a big one that has kind of taken a new area of importance um since the start of the pandemic i was only reading today that in march 2020 tinder set the record for having three billion swipes in one day um on their platform and they're obviously the largest um dating platform but you have loads like bumble and hinge and lots of others and when you speak to people who you know i've used them in the past i know lots of people and my friends have used them throughout the pandemic and they're like i'm sick of it but then that's the only thing i can do because i'm stuck in a pandemic so we see the benefit of it but what are the kind of dangers of online dating or the pitfalls that people have to be aware of as well um this sounds a bit harsh again but like you could look at it so you're you're familiar with the mart the mart yeah like where you buy cattle yeah <laughs> so basically like um the lad would bring out uh, a sheep or a cow basically and they'll show off the and and basically everybody's just shouting numbers at the at the person yeah. going off like again this sounds extremely uh, derogatory but it is similar so you're essentially trying to sell yourself um you in a simple small you know window you don't have a lot of opportunity for it yeah and this has led to loads and loads of relationships and marriages and that's fantastic it's a lot easier to meet people i'm all for that that's fine but the issue is that it really is emphasizing looks that would that would be i'd say it's the problem that people it's teaching people to judge the book by its cover more and more Mm. um And like this goes without saying, like there is a thing in psychology, this existed before, um, like there's this thing in psychology known as the halo effect. So what that basically means is when somebody is good looking, they're portrayed as being more competent than everything else. This is, for example, um, studies have shown that uh, people who are objectively better looking will get the job, for example. Mm. Um, Like that is something, but this is human nature like you know we can't do anything about um you know somebody who's objectively attractive that's not their fault but the one argument i would make is um how we basically counteract this is by being aware of the bias um that basically that but don't isn't there always an element of judging a book by its cover like if you're walking to a bar and you go to approach someone you're going to judge initially by what they look like. You're not going to approach them if you're not somewhat attracted to the way they look because you won't have spoken to them. But is it just it puts more of an emphasis on it? Yeah, because when you meet somebody at the bar, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to start talking to them. And when you basically interact with them in person, you get to know, you get to get a better sense of them. But if um, if you're talking to somebody, let's say on Tinder, you're just talking to their pictures. Does that make sense? 
So yeah, you're yeah. interacting with them, but you don't know what they're really like <laughs> in person. You know, you can read a lot more when meeting somebody in person. And this isn't me saying like, obviously, I know people go from Tinder to then meet in person. This is not me yeah. saying that oh, Tinder is terrible again. Like, um, it's just basically being aware that there's biases. Um, mm. I also have oh yeah, and the other big big thing which um is Photoshop and catfish. yeah, catfish yeah that show. These these are all issues that c- could not happen in person, but they can happen on Tinder. Although I've been mm. told that Tinder now have a verification, and there's like a kind of blue tick type of thing. Yes, I believe there is. I believe there is. So um, I'm pretty sure that it is uh some sort of verification. So photos are kind of accurate. accurate. Um, I I also came across as well uh just for a useful tip if people are like this lad is just uh blatant all technology uh, a useful tip if you are on tinder is there's something known as the primacy effect so the first thing that somebody notices about um a picture is what they'll pay more attention to and if that is positive then they'll evaluate the rest of or everything else as positive so this is um this is kind of like the halo effect, but like in a in a mini form where you somehow get them to think one thing positive. There's this school of psychology called like Gestalt um, psychology, where it's like this wholeness that we focus in on one thing and then that represents the whole of the person. So yes, yeah. it's in with the halo effect. But the point I'm making here is if you're making a Tinder account, um, over-focus your best feature. Um that's my piece of advice for you because it Tinder advice right here from Christy Shum. Yeah. So like if you say like, for example, if you have blue eyes, you want to basically over focus your eyes in the picture so that people can basically draw that. Wow. That person's eyes are, are so blue. But there is there is something lost with the awkwardness of like having to go up to someone and break that. Like, the, you know, so actually what you're doing is you're taking a quite a difficult challenge as you know as you're growing up when you're meeting people and dating and stuff that you have to overcome to build confidence where you have to go out and talk to people face to face you're almost removing that early or early stage awkwardness um, and two contexts that's good th- that's one way it's a good thing maybe there's certain people who didn't have the confidence and now have the ability to talk to people they never would have in person and then ultimately maybe date them so maybe you're giving the opportunity to people who lacked that confidence but you are losing the opportunity for people to try it, fail, mess up a few times, get over it to kind of build that kind of wall against awkwardness and rejection, which I don't know, you know, maybe in a longer term, you'll see how people d- deal with the kind of, you know, rejection on the back of it, because it's a lot more painful in person than it is, you know, online when you can just swipe again. Um, yeah, again, I completely agree with that. That's fantastic. One thing I would say is like, don't, you're still going to have to meet somebody in person eventually. Eventually. Anybody who's like trying to avoid it at all costs. But um, yeah, and, and this is a positive now of online dating. That is one positive. Um, and this is, again, this is something that's going through a trial and error period. Like I think um, the concept of Bumble is better than Tinder. That is trying to remove those sex roles. For example, the woman has to write to the man first. Um, I think that's great. Like, um, so... I do think these will continue to improve as well if we have the right people in charge of them. Um, so yeah, I, I, again, nothing against that. And so from a sexual, here's an interesting one, because obviously it's something we've talked about wanting to cover more because of the how much it's tied to mental health growing up. But from a sexual education perspective, addressing um, you know online dating, because it is a very different world, there is that element of 
you're putting a lot of yourself online which technically allows particularly if they're sharing of photos and things like that there's a lot of data passing hands that ultimately if you were meeting someone face to face you still have full control over once you start sharing either information or photos of yourself online there is the element of now someone has control of that and there can be that whole concept of revenge porn and all those things you hear about but the the whole idea of like educating people how to date safely in an online world and how that can lead to anxiety and things like that yeah i think that would be important to address um i don't know now how early people are going on tinder that's actually an interesting question yeah that's probably an important one to figure out getting younger and younger um i would imagine um i definitely was in school i know that for sure because i remember i heard about it when i was still kind of maybe third or fourth class i remember hearing of tinder and that was like when tinder began and i heard about it from a friend's older brother so i don't know with anyone of our age using it at that stage but my feeling would be that you're probably looking at if a 17 18 year old teen year old the older ones like match.com i think is still popular and there's a lot of in, there's a lot of organizations now that fully believe that it's a science that basically you can essentially measure people put so much money into it um that basically like you know scientifically you can find the perfect person the list matchmaking festival it's existed far longer than tinder and that is based on people's kind of i think profile and you have to send it in it was something that all my friends joked about going to for a laugh but uh i mean matchmakers have existed for a long time but um but yeah so i mean i think overall looking at that influencer space looking at the dangers of kind of you know filtering online content you know there's a lot of kind of a lot of, I would say, controversial things that haven't been fully figured out yet, but what the overriding message is that technology is still moving very fast and social media companies and online platforms still have a long way to go to match regulation and control and safety to the actual actions that take place online. And hopefully, if they can be addressed sooner rather than later, the levels of anxiety, the levels of stress and the levels of mental illness tied to these online platforms will hopefully reduce because, as we've always said, none of these things are ever going to go away. So I think it's more about trying to create an environment that makes them safe and fun to use. So to tie all it up, I think um, we've kind of covered technology. But as always, guys, make sure to like, share with your friends, pass on the message to anyone else. Please give us some feedback if you have any kind of particular topics you want us to cover. Um, because that's obviously we're just trying to make information that is relevant to you guys. I don't know, Christy, is that everything from your side? Yeah, just don't cyberbully. Don't cyberbully. That, that's a good one. Um, And yeah, guys, um, we'll be back soon with another episode. And as always, mind yourselves.